This is an Emmaus Church podcast. For more information about Emmaus Church, please visit EmmausDenver.com. Morning. Oh, man. Wake myself up. It's been, um, it's been a little bit of a rough week for our church, um, to say the least. Uh, just even having some conversation with folks throughout the week, um, things that we were praying for this morning, they're, uh, yeah, kind of just reverberations from grief and um, just kind of struggling with things, uh, different things throughout the week. And I was, this morning I was thinking about the beginning of John a little bit. This reality that Jesus became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, Yeah, just this reality that, that Jesus is revealing grace and truth. And it says, from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. From his fullness... And, um, yeah, I just feel a little bit empty this morning, um, a little bit empty this week, and thinking about his fullness is where we find grace upon grace. And I think that's an appropriate connector to our I am statement this morning in, in God's wonderful providence. We have I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus is, in this story, Jesus is actually talking to his friends and his disciples. So this is, a, this is a story about Jesus being the resurrection, sharing that grace upon grace with the people that he loves, with the people that he cares for. And when I think about that grace upon grace, sometimes we don't have a sense of that. You know, sometimes we don't really feel like we're experiencing grace and truth from the fullness of Jesus because we know all these true facts about him um, that's wonderful that we want to stick we want to start at least start there we know these true things about who Jesus is and we've been learning all these things as we kind of go through all these I am statements but there's a lot of times where we don't really have like a sense of that for ourselves we don't really We don't really feel that we are filled up with his grace and truth. We don't really feel like we're resting, like we have peace in this grace upon grace. And Jesus knows that. And I think that's what's beautiful about this particular story is he knows that about his friends, about the people that he cares for. And and he's trying to help them grow their faith. He's trying to help them grow their trust in in who he is and what he's doing and how he's orchestrating all things. And so we're going to walk through this story and we're going to see Jesus do some things that are uncomfortable that maybe don't sit well with us. And this whole story is pointing back to him and he's trying to say, Just trust me more. Trust me more 
so that you can experience that grace upon grace that I'm revealing of the Father. So let's, let's start with some prayer and walk through this story and say, Lord, how can I have more faith in what you're doing in who you are in all these different circumstances in my life so I can have a better sense of that grace upon grace that comes from him? Let's pray. Father, thank you um, for your beautiful son. Thank you for, man, just the patience and love and care he has for us. Thank you that he came and lived a perfect life that we can read about and, and understand you better, our God, through the person of Jesus Christ. Help us with that this morning, Lord. I pray specifically for our church family, Lord, that we would trust you more in the things that you're doing so that we could rest in you, the resurrection and the life. Help us with that. On your name I pray, amen. And so my outline this morning is um, pretty straightforward and I don't always get the, the alliteration, but I was happy about that this week. Uh, the people, the purpose, and the the presence of Jesus. Um, and we're going to just kind of walk through the story, and, I, and you'll see some of these a little bit inter, intertwined. But if uh, I'd encourage you, if you have your Bible journal or a Bible, uh, just follow along in uh, John 11. Um, we're not gonna, we probably won't bounce uh, too far from John 11. So if you just follow along in, in 11, then we're going to kind of walk through the story, and we'll see the people of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus, and the presence of Jesus. And um, kind of just see how he's working through, through this narrative. So starting in verse 1, it says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. These are friends of Jesus, we find out. And it's interesting, John actually tells us this story about him being anointed uh, ahead of time. Like, he hasn't even got to the story yet. And he's like, this is, this is, uh, this is a special someone for Jesus, and she, she's going to come up a, a later on in the story. But he brings it up right there. He says, hey, this is the one who anointed the Lord with ointment. And he's kind of going to give us a preview of that as he, as he goes on. He says, so the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. He who you love is ill. And this is, this is a, a reasonable situation where the, the, these are friends of Jesus. And we'll see how much he cares for them. Um, Jesus has been doing all kinds of miracles. And so they send for Jesus and say, hey, your friend, the guy that you care about, the guy that you love, he's ill. Which, you know, if I knew Jesus and... and Bridget was struggling. I, I would, I'd send a message and say, hey, Jesus, um, need some help over here, you know? And so they send him a message. And Jesus says, when he heard it, he says, the illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This illness does not lead to death, which is interesting because most of our Bibles have a little thing there that says death of Lazarus. So you're right away, you're like, 
What's going on in, what is Jesus, what's going on in Jesus' head here? This illness does not lead to death. This is for the glory of God. So something about Jesus is he gets this message. By all accounts, he's probably about two days journey away from where Lazarus is because earlier he kind of goes to escape the Jews. He says this illness does not lead in, in death, but it's for the glory of God. So he has this sense right off the bat that something about what's going to happen here is going to reveal the character and attributes of God, the glory of God. That's how that, that phrase is sort of used in John. It's going to show us something about who God is. So verse 5, he goes on. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them. So who are Jesus' people? These are his friends that he loves. These are people that he cares about. These are people that he spends time with. These are people he has affection for. His close friends. Which is kind of like a good illustration. He's talking about earlier, he's saying, I'm the shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He keeps his sheep. So it's almost like from we go from like this huge statement about Jesus collecting his flock and caring for his flock. And now we zoom in on his close friends, on the people who he cares for. So he loves them. He cares for them. He's close to them. And then verse six says, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He heard that he was ill, so he didn't go. He didn't go. Why did he stick around? After this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going to go there again? So it's not, so now we have a situation where the people that he loves ask for his help, and he doesn't go. He purposely stays for a couple of days. And he's still got a couple of days before he can even get there. He purposely stays. And now he's saying, okay, now it's time to go. And we're going to go to Bethany. And the disciples are like, Jesus, uh, we just left there. That's kind of the place where we're in trouble. Like, they, they tried to, you know, remember when we were there last time? They, they tried to kill you. And we're here today because that's a dangerous place for us to be. So even his, the, the, his disciples, the people that he cares for, the people who are with him are a little unsettled by sort of the circumstances and the things that are going on. And I'm sure they're wondering, okay, well, which we'll find out when we kind of go, go through the story. Jesus answered them in verse 9, he says, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, but he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not with him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. 
the disciples are afraid of what Jesus is going to do because they're going to Jerusalem, near Jerusalem. They're afraid. And in a sense, Jesus is saying, look, I have peace because I'm operating in the day doing the will of my Father. I, 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 as long as we are consistent with and as long as we are working in line with who God is and what he's doing, so as we're, we're following what God has called us to do, what do we have to worry about? He's trying, he's trying to say, I, I know my Father's will and I do the will of my Father. Amen. And his disciples are like, this is not a good place to go. He's like, why do you yet trust me if I'm doing the will of the Father? The things that we do in the light are, are going to be exactly how the Lord wants it to work out. He says, our friend has fallen asleep. And then you get some of the confusion of the disciples here. I, I love the dialogue in some of these places. It's like, he fell asleep, you know, and, and you, you just, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Like, what? They look, I mean, what are they even thinking that Jesus is thinking, you know, like to be able to say that? You're talking to God, and you're like, God, seriously, he'll wake up. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I, I, think, I, I think that's a, just a reflection of the nervousness. They're, they don't want to go to Jerusalem. This ain't a good place to be. It's dangerous. So, yeah, so I sort of wonder what the intonation is for, for the disciples there. Like, they're like, hey, it's not a good place to go. And Jesus kind of corrects them. Like, hey, if we're doing the will of the Father, it's okay. Well, if he's asleep, he'll wake up. We'll be fine. You know, let's not worry about it. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Like, let's just, he has to just tell them flat out. Lazarus has died. And he says this interesting thing. He says, for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So that you, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Amen. So you'd believe. This is faith. This is trust. It's his people, his friends, his disciples. I, I mean, what are Mary and Martha thinking when the messengers come back and say, he didn't come. What are his disciples thinking? He just told them it doesn't end in death. They waited for a couple of days, which they were like, I'm glad we're not going over there. And then he's like, well, now he's dead and we're going. For your sake. He's looking at his friends. He's looking at his disciples and he's like, I want to help you trust me. I want to help you trust me. And I love Thomas's response, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, all right, let us also go that we may die with him. 
A lot of trust there. <laughs> sure, Jesus, guess we'll just die with you. So when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. So he actually knew, it's interesting. Chances are, he knew that he had died when the messengers came. He had a sense of something. He waited for a couple of days and then took two more days to get there. This is four days. It's a long time when you lose someone close. It was a rough four days for us this week. And it's for their sake. For their sake. Verse 18 says, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. We don't know. I, I wonder why Mary stayed. They sent him a long time ago. How many days? How do you, how do you think they were thinking of Jesus for days? Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you hadn't been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. God works in ways that we don't like, often. It's hard. Life is hard. Here Jesus intentionally with his people, intentionally with his people, the people he cares for, his friends, his disciples, intentionally makes them suffer for days with their dead friend. Says he loves them. Says he's doing it for them. But the way the narrative is, he is methodical about staying, about waiting, and about showing up days after he's gone. A lot of times God works in our life and brings suffering intentionally. Brings difficult things intentionally. And we're tempted, I think, like Martha, 
Say, Lord, if you would have done it this other way, it would have been better. Or like the apostles, fine, I guess it'll just do it this way. But his purpose is the people that he loves, his friends and his disciples, but he has a purpose in this. He has a purpose in these difficult things. He has a purpose in this difficult thing. He wants us to believe. He wants to grow our faith. These are his friends. These are the people that, that believe in him, that trust in him, that, that, that can, will confess that he's the Messiah. And he's doing this methodically. He's bringing some of this suffering into their life because he knows that this is what they need to trust him more. Look at what Martha says in, in verse 22. She says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. This is, a, this is someone who has a sense of who Jesus is, has some belief, has some trust, but Jesus knows exactly what she needs. She needs to trust him in who he is. He needs to believe in, in, in the Jesus, the fact that he is revealing the glory and wonder and majesty of God. She needs to trust in him for everything. And so he brings this difficult circumstance to grow that faith. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And I love what Martha says. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. What she's doing is she's taking a true statement and that's where her faith, that's where her trust is. Lord, if you were here, this would be better. I wouldn't have suffered. Jesus says, he'll rise again. She's like, I know at the end which is true. She's not saying, she's, she's a, a better theologian than the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes that we've kind of ran into. She's saying a true statement and her faith, her trust, her belief is in that, that statement and that true thing. Amen. And I think we, we easily kind of, we do that with stuff. And I think the, there's, a, there's, a, there's a sense in which that's okay. But that's not all the way, that's not exactly where Jesus is trying to bring us. We will say true things that are comforting, that are encouraging. It's a beautiful thing to think of the true reality that Alex is in a better place. So thankful for that. So comforting. And even some of the conversations I had with them more recently are reassuring to me in that. I'm so thankful for that. That's a true thing. There are other true things that we cling to. You know, uh, 
For those who love him, God works everything out for good. (laughs) True thing. Very true thing. And when we cling to that true thing and say, well, maybe we're going to go like the disciples. Let's go die with you, but something good will probably come of this. (laughs) We cling to that true thing. And, And that's good. Those are good things. But that's not what Jesus really wants from us. Look at what he says. Right after that, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. See, I want to grow your faith, not in the facts uh, about me, I want to grow your faith and your trust and your hope and your joy, not in just the true realities that come from the word. I want to grow your faith and your trust and your joy and your comfort and everything in me. I have brought this suffering into your life because I care for you. I love you, and I want you to be closer in relationship with a person, with Jesus himself. That's who loves you. That's his purpose. He's trying to draw you closer to the God that's revealed in the person of Jesus. Yes, true things are wonderful. And, you know, Lazarus will rise in the last day. He died again after this story. (laughs) But it's more important for Jesus. It's way more important for us that our faith and our trust is in a person, is in Jesus himself. He brings suffering. He brings difficult things in our life because he desperately wants the people he cares about to draw nearer to him and be comforted by him. Look at what he says right after that. Whoever believes, whoever trusts, whoever has faith in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. If you go back a few pages or scroll up a whole bunch to John chapter 5. He says this a couple of times, this idea that you won't experience death. John 5, 24 says, truly, truly, this is important, pay attention to this one. I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Past tense. Whoever believes, whoever has faith, whoever trusts in who I am, already has eternal life. 
chapter 8, kind of says the same thing. 851. Truly, truly. It's like this is an important thing that he wants to get across to us. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Amen. He will never see death. Now go back to chapter 11. Look at what he says. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He's sort of rattling our view of what it means to die. You have eternal life if you have your faith, your trust, your belief in the person of Jesus. It's there. It's not a future thing. And he's saying this as his friends are grieving the death of his friend. They're, they're desperately feeling the pain and suffering of the loss of their friend that they believe Jesus could have helped. And he's telling them that if you have faith and trust in me, if you actually believe in me and who I am, you have life and will never experience death. I don't, what are they thinking of what he's saying? I have no idea. Jesus can offer us this eternal life, this idea that we'll never experience death. In the, in, the truest, in the truest sense that because of him, because of everything that he's done, he permanently connects his people to the creator of the universe. He restores the relationship that was broken in the fall. He brings God and man back together in the person of Jesus Christ. Our union with him is what enables us to experience the glory and the beauty and the majesty in the person of God himself. And if we, have, if we trust Jesus to do that, you and I today already have eternal life. He says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. She has a measure of faith. These are his friends. These are people who trust in him. These are people who know he can heal and sent people to to believe that he would do these things. And yet they still don't get it all the way. They still don't get it all the way. And he allows them, he, he orchestrates their suffering for their sake. Verse 15, it's for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. He orchestrates their suffering for his people for the purpose of growing their faith in him, in a person, 
and the person that has already given you eternal life, who's already given you access to the Father. And I think that sometimes when we're suffering and God has brought difficult things into our life, our temptation is to think, maybe it's just me, because uh, I'm a one, is that it's cold and calculated. Like, well, he brought this so that I would do this when I would feel better. <laughs> or, or maybe your, your temptation is to, to think that there's some form of disappointment in you or something. Like God is bringing hard things into your life because you just haven't measured up a certain way. But that's not true. Our, the, the gospel tells us that our worth and our value and, and who we are is determined by God and not by us. So if what God has done defines who we are, what God has done also defines how God views us. He doesn't view you disappointed in you. He doesn't view you as a failure. He loves you and cares for you and is present with you and grieves and grieves when he has to bring hard and difficult things in your life so that you would just trust him more. He knows that. And I think this story illustrates this crazy well. Because Jesus is trying to show us who God is like. He's revealing God to us. This is the glory of God that's being revealed. So how Jesus interacts with his friends in this next section shows us the presence that God has in our suffering. It shows us his care and concern and love for us, even as he is the one bringing suffering into our life. Verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in a place where Martha had met him when the Jews were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Four days of suffering. He did this because he loves her. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Deeply moved and greatly troubled. That's the character of a God who brings hard things into your life. 
for a good purpose. He wants to grow your faith in him. He wants you to know that he is everything. He has to bring you hard things. But he does that deeply moved and troubled. It's not cold and calculated. He's there and he's present in your suffering. He's deeply moved. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. He hurt. I think he hurt because he knew his friend was dead. But I want to believe that he hurt more because he knew the lengths he had to go through to get them to trust him more. He knew. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. The Jews get about everything wrong so far. Maybe that's a little John indicator. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus was deeply moved again, and he came to the tomb. There's a little gap there in most of our Bibles. That's not how the story was written. There's no gap. That's just for our sake (laughs) with verses and stuff. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved again. He knew what he did. He knew what it was for, the purpose. This is the same God who brings suffering into your life. Because he loves you and he wants you to just trust him more. Love him more. Have more joy from him. Have more peace from him. And he's deeply moved when he has to do that. Because he cares. Because he loves you. Because he views you through the lens of what Jesus has done. You're perfect in his sight. Because you're united to his perfect son. And it pains him when he has to work difficult things in our lives, even when it's for our good. He was deeply moved again, and he came to the tomb. It was a cave, and the stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. She still doesn't trust him. She still doesn't trust him. This just shows the wisdom of God in bringing hard things into our lives at times. Because we need it. 
We need it. We already have eternal life. We have everything we need from our creator. We have the, we, we, our relationship is restored with the God of the universe. We have the, the fountain of life, the bread of life, the, the light of the world that brings life to men. We, you and I, through Jesus Christ, have access to the throne of God. And how many times do we want something else or different? <laughs> how many times is our, tra- our trust and our peace based on something that changes? Hourly? God knows this. Doesn't think any less of us. He cares for us. He's present there. And he's working out these things. He's often bringing suffering into our lives so that we would just trust him more. So we'd see who he is. So we'd know that he cares for us. He knows he's present there with us and and so that we would just go to him for all these things. Say, Lord, you are the resurrection. You are the life. You are the everything and anything I could ever ask for and you've given it to me. Help me trust you even more so that I could love you and and be attracted to your glory and to reveal yourself and all these things. Jesus is present, deeply moved, and very wise. So look what he says in verse 41. So I took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Out loud he prays, acknowledging the work of his heavenly Father. And he says, I do, I'm saying this out loud because I desperately want my friends to believe and trust me more. To know the kind of God who cares for them. To know the kind of God that's present with them. To know the kind of God that's orchestrating all these, every little detail of our lives so that you and I can enjoy more of the glory and beauty and majesty of our creator. He prays this out loud and says, Lord, I'm doing this and I want them to hear because I want them to believe. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. had to have like wrecked them after four days of grieving after doubting Jesus on every front I mean what did Mary and Martha think they were at the lowest of the low 
their views of Jesus at that time were probably the worst they ever were. He stands in front of the tomb and says, hey, come out. And he does. And look at verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, had faith in him, believed in him, trusted in him. He's present in our suffering. He grieves when we suffer, but he knows what he's doing. He has a purpose. He wants our faith in him to grow. And it does. It does when we hurt. There's another response that we can have when God brings difficult things into our life. You see it with the Pharisees. Verse 46 says, but, okay, some believe, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Oh, bummer. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And then in verse 53, he says, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Look, if, we, if people trust in who Jesus is and what he's doing, if I trust in the fact that my God, even when he brings suffering, is there with me in it, grieves for me and cares for me, if I just trust him to work in the hard things, I might lose some stuff. I might lose some stuff. And that quickly turns to, why God? Which in our hearts is basically saying, I would stomp you out if I could. We respond that way. Life is hard. There's grace for that. Jesus knew the thoughts of Mary and Martha. The disciples thought he was an idiot. He's sleeping. Oh, let's go die. That, that's God. He knew that. But he cared for them. He loved them. Didn't change any of that. At all. And he was carefully trusting his father as he meticulously brought the suffering into their lives so that they would just trust him more. And they did. They believed him more. 
They rested in him more. They found peace in him more. It wasn't about the true things that they knew necessarily. We should believe those things, the true things that God shares with us. Those can be encouraging and wonderful things and are. But at the end of the day, they drew closer to God himself and the person of Jesus Christ. That's why God wants to grow our faith. That's why we suffer. So that all of us could be closer to the glory and majesty and beauty and wonder of God. And I think that's why Alex suffered. So he could be closer to God. All the way to the end. And he believes, not by faith, but by sight. And that's wonderful. We can all rest in that. Let's pray. Father, help us. We believe. Help our unbelief. You are more wonderful than anything we could ever imagine. You love us. You you love us more than that expression on Alex's face when he expressed that love towards us. Help us believe that. Help us trust in you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for growing our faith in you. Lord, thank you that we love you more and trust you more than we did five years ago, two years ago. Lord, you are working in your people and you continue to work in your people and you're with us and you grieve with us and you know that this is hard. You're present, Lord. Thank you so much for what you have been doing in our hearts, in our minds, and we just pray with confidence knowing you're gonna continue to do that in your people, Lord. Thank you for that. In your name I pray, amen.